Hi, everybody. This is Michael Matsuda, superintendent of the Anaheim Union High School District, and I'm your host of a new show called AUHSD Future Talks, in which we have some really profound and amazing guests to talk about the future of work, the future of life for young people, not only in Orange County, but across America, and especially those 30,000 young people and their families that the Anaheim Union High School District serves. Today, I'm really proud to introduce uh, an amazing person, a, uh, uh, someone with very deep roots in Orange County, somebody who is on the cutting edge of social justice issues and is a longtime personal friend of mine, Marianne Fu. Marianne Fu is the executive director and founder of the Orange County Asian and Pacific Islander Community Alliance. A, it's a large nonprofit with over 100 staff, and they serve 40,000 community members. And it's not just serving Asian Pacific Americans, but uh, it's a very inclusive organization that has many, many partnerships with schools, including the AUHSD. So uh, Marianne has just a long record of accomplishment and really is one of the, the key drivers of um, and advocates for social justice in Orange County and throughout California, especially impacting Asian Pacific community islanders. She's also a uh, uh, very loving wife and mom of two amazing young boys, and one of them's well, a man. And uh, <laughs> just uh, you know, in fact, that's that's let's let's start with that question because you know when you meet people like Marianne, especially. Um, a, a career woman, right? Also a mom. How, Marianne? How does how does all that happen? And how did you um, how do you balance your life? Oh, that's a good question. It's really hard to balance your life. You know, I think um, I grew up, and my mom is really a role model to me. She worked and went to school why she had us. So we have three in our three, you know, two boys and a girl myself. And uh, my parents both worked all the time. They had to work. And um, what my mom did was she made sure that when she got home, it was just all time for us. And she was getting, you know, going back to school. She ended up getting her master's degree while she had us. And being able to balance that, I think that really helped me to see that you could work and balance family and life, but you really had to focus on family once you got home. Um, and I think it's just through all the challenges that my family has gone through that it, it really helped me to see how important family is and to put your family first. Yeah, I think that's the key and that's great advice for young people who are just beginning their own families and their own careers because oftentimes you get uh, an imbalance in life, right? And again, I think it's 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 difficult. It's more difficult for women, and also uh, oftentimes for women of color, to um, to find that balance because always trying to sort of prove yourself, right, in the uh, world in the career world. So you know, and as a mom, with uh, you're vested, you're vested in the future, the future mm -hmm. of the. Um, um, America, I guess. And so let, let's let's just talk a little bit about that. From your perspective, what do you think this post-COVID-19 world is going to look like? Because many people want, they, they want to go back to the past. And um, of course, we all do. But what what is, 
in your view, what is this going to look like? You know, post COVID, I think um, one is that we showed that we're so international, you know, something that happening in another part of the world will quickly affect every other place in the world. And so one is that we have to think more globally. And I think many times we're taught just to think about ourselves or to think about local, but really we're, we're huge and we're a global uh, society. And we have to think about all of our, you know, all of the other people in other countries um, because what happens to them impacts us ultimately. Um, other things I think we have to think about is how policies impact others. And so, for example, in the U.S. where we have policies around, you know, we had so much fighting over masks, for example. And my background is public health. So I'm really into tracking um, illness and disease as well as what can you do to prevent it? And so when issues of masks became politicized, you know, we saw how it impacted the United States. And so many of these other countries don't want us to come. You know, I can't even go to, my family lives in Hawaii now. Um, my parents retired there and my, my oldest is there. I can't even visit him because of, you know, how much COVID uh, had, had transmitted throughout the U.S. And so where other states or different places or different countries don't want us. And so how local policy, how federal policy here will impact our relationships with others. And so one is the, the global issue. Two, I think how it's impacting us, you know, post-COVID will be um, how are we creating policies or laws that will benefit all? You know, we saw COVID really brought out the inequities, and especially among, you know, racial uh, communities. And you saw more African-Americans, uh, Latinos, and Pacific Islanders dying from COVID. And uh, right there, you also saw a healthcare system that wasn't supported and people couldn't get what they needed. So you saw healthcare providers and then you saw, you know, being impacted. You saw communities of color being impacted. And then you also saw essential workers being impacted and essential workers, especially the low wage workers who can't work at home. They have to be going to their jobs every day and they got uh, COVID as well. And so I think post-COVID, what's going to show us is how are we creating policies that will benefit all, we'll look at equity, and we'll look at fixing broken systems and being more supportive of them. Um, it's also going to advance us more technology-wise because with school going online, with work going online, with less people, you see Twitter deciding not to have a building anymore and having everyone work from home. I think we have to look at our workforce as... Um, having the options of working remotely and, you know, that's going to impact us in the future as well. So there's just a, a, a tremendous amount of challenges ahead of us and, and ahead of young people. What uh, like Ocapica, you, you, um, your organization works and it's cu cutting edge on um, um, health education and edu you know, um, policy education, economic development, housing. How do you weave all of that stuff together in, in terms of a local context? Mm -hmm. So for Capica, when we developed it, we really looked at using a model that, you know, 
what are all the influences to communities well-being and that's a social ecological model a lot of times communities get blamed it's like oh for being poor if you don't get a job and that's not what happens you know um it you know racism affects you discrimination um poverty safety planning all of those things impact you know whether you can get a job whether if you have housing um and so we really develop a model and that's very integrative where my background is health. I was a health educator and I didn't, I couldn't believe how much I had to get involved in voting. And early on when I I'm from Northern California, North of Sacramento, and I had experienced a lot of racism there. And, you know, at the time when I was experiencing a lot of racism, um, I was doing good in school, but I was really having a lot of depression because of the racism. And so right there I saw, gosh, racism can really impact you. And then the area I grew up in was very impoverished. You know, the average income was very low. A lot of people were struggling. It's a farming community. Um, and so you see if your community is impoverished, how does that impact you? So myself and my best friend were the only two girls that went away to college. So for my personal experiences, I saw that it wasn't a choice that people made from my school. Oh, I'm just not going to go to college or I'm just not going to work. There were no jobs. The area is very impoverished. Um, you couldn't afford to go to college. Uh, there's a lot of racism. So multiple factors impact you. And so when we started Ocapica, we really wanted to see what was happening to the community and their needs. And what were the things that were influencing those needs? It wasn't just an individual saying, oh, I I want to live in poverty. I don't want to go to college. It was, where do they live? What was the city doing? Was the city investing in them and their neighborhoods? Or was the city investing in corporations or, or bigger companies that they think that they can get more revenue from or more money from? Um, and that was our approach. And that's why at Ocapica, we take a we look at health and mental health, workforce development, civic engagement, and youth and education, because we believe those are the five areas that impact a community's well-being and really look at helping to transform a community and its future are those areas. So it's really about this civic education and civic action and holding people accountable or systems accountable for these policies impacting the community and understanding the interconnectedness, right, which is a, a tall order. And that's why I think that your work with the schools, Anaheim Union High School District, has been so vital um, in terms of us becoming like, you know, a, a leader in democracy schools and, and civic education. And I think it's important that you, you supply a lot of young role models, college students, and who are... Um, integrated into the schools. But, you know, you, you bring up a, a point, too, about just going to college in general and the cost, right? Because that, that's mm -hmm. definitely a, a big factor. What do you tell young people now about, um, I mean, is college still worth it? Is it still the way to to uh, be successful? And, and in terms of the, the Asian Pacific community, during, uh, that has been the great equalizer, right? There's no question about that. But what do you tell young people now who has a cousin or a brother that just graduated from UCLA and is a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Mm -hmm. what, what, what do you say to that? You know, it's, that's really challenging because when I went 
to UC Davis as an undergrad in UCLA for graduate school, my my tuition at UC Davis was three hundred and seventy six dollars, and you know, and and we were thinking, oh, that's kind of a lot, you know, because California schools were supposed to be free, you know, for the UCs and Cal States, the and community colleges, the originally with the you know the master agreement in education, all of these public institutions were supposed to be free. And policies really changed that, and and um, with the lack of revenue, also changed that. So, you know, I do tell people that it is worth it. But yes, you're going to come out with a lot of debt. Now, one, we really try to talk to people about fill out the FAFSA and apply for every type of scholarship you can get. Also, think about community college as as a um, pathway community colleges are amazing and you can get all of your you can get all of your general education requirements out out of the way and then transfer your guaranteed transfer to you know a a university you know many times the top university of your choice and so i would say that's a really good pathway now if college isn't for you there's a lot of other types of positions one of the things we're doing is we're really missing out on areas of, of, you know, skill building and jobs, like, for example, Southern California Edison, who we work with, they're missing people in their business, in their sector, and they're paying people to get trained. Um, right. So mechanics, you know. What, what about, Marianne, what about people who want to go into your field, into the nonprofit world? How, how are jobs with, with, with nonprofits? So for nonprofits, it's really wide open. And, um, my background was that I wanted to do something that got me closer to the Asian community because I really had denied being Asian for so long. And so I was able to get a job in the Asian nonprofit. I just learned everything. And they sent me to Washington, D.C. to work on HIV AIDS policy. I got all these opportunities I never would have. And it doesn't really relate to my my major, <laughs> but college taught me. I think to be analytical and to have certain skills and, and writing and speaking and communicating. Um, and so I would suggest, you know, that because, and learning a little bit about policy, because when you work and especially in nonprofit, you really need to, to have that um, intern experience, that volunteer experience, but also the life experience. You think about your own passions and your own personal life experiences and what excites you. And then you can see, find a nonprofit that is doing the work that you're interested in. Um, I was interested in health and Asians. And so I was able to work at a national um, organization that worked with Asian clinics and around healthcare. So, and, so how does one get their foot in the door, Marianne, with, with nonprofits there? I think it's just calling a nonprofit that's in your neighborhood or in your city. Find out what they do. Look on the, you know, look on. So, and, and Ocampica is an AIM partner. So we offer yes, um, internships and mentoring. I know uh, that we, we only have about four minutes left, but I do want to get to another really big topic. This summer, we saw an explosion of nonviolent uh, protests after the George Floyd um, killing. And I, a lot of them involved uh, Anaheim, Santa Ana Garden Grove students, 
I mean, students across the country. Yeah. I went to one just to, because uh, I was really nervous about the potential for violence. There was no violence. So it was very peaceful, but surprised that so many um, Latinos and Asians and, and whites, because mo- there aren't that many, as you know, there aren't that many African-Americans yeah. in Orange County, but tremendous support for uh, this movement called Black Lives Matter. When people ask you, like Asian, young Asians or Latinos, why uh, why does Black Lives Matter? You know, the first of all, the historical um, atrocities and just the things that have happened to African-Americans and, and the Black community historically has just, you know, continued. And the African-American community, the amount of discrimination that continues to occur made it that we really needed to focus on Black Lives Matter. Because when we uplift Black lives, we uplift everyone. When Black lives are able to get, you know, access and equity and there's um, no more targeting of them, then that will impact but, us. But what do you say to people that's, that, that are, you know, they, they, they might nod their heads and say, well, all lives matter. You know, I think they just have to look at the videos and see the number of African-Americans who've been killed and they weren't doing anything. And they were, you know, starting with Trayvon Martin. I mean, historically, it's been just just I mean, the numbers are there, right? Disproportionality with. Yeah, just a disproportion, Mm -hmm. you know, just a disproportionality among Mm -hmm. for black lives and that we as a community have to stand up. And if you say all lives matter, the issue is, is that. That's not what's happening. It's not everyone's being impacted. It's black lives that are impacted. And if we take that away from uh, the community, if we're saying, oh, all lives matter, then we're really not uplifting and doing anything. That's why Black Lives Matter, you know, movement was so important for all of us to get involved and to listen and to be there as supporters. I think people of my generation have a hard time grasping that, but I, this is something, a teachable moment for the general, I mean, from the young to teach us the old generation, because I was really um, touched by the, the so many young people basically holding those Black Lives Matter signs and just really um, um, peacefully, nonviolently trying to have a voice and saying that we are interconnected in this world. In in the last few minutes, uh, what, what are some of your final, uh, messages to our young people. We have 30,000 of them in our district. What are some of your final messages? You know, I'm just so inspired by you all. You're you're brilliant and you're the strength that you have and the assets that you have. You're going to have so many people tell you you're nothing, you know, throughout your lives. You're going to have so many people saying you don't deserve this or you don't believe them. Just believe in yourself because you have so much strength and Many times when I was growing up, I've had that where people were like, well, you don't belong or you're not a part of this or you're not, you you know, you go back to where you came from and all sorts of hurtful messages are going to be said to you. You have to be able to use that to build up, you know, your strength and your, your own resiliency uh, and believe in yourself because you matter. And I'm just so impressed and, and so honored by all of what the young people are doing now and you're our future you can change this world you can transform what this world is wow what a great message marianne and we are a district of the five c's and as you know the fifth c is compassion Mm -hmm. i can't think of a better role model 
of compassion, Marianne. You have dedicated your life to building a better community for all. And we thank you for that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.